if I have not met you, try and come and say hello to me later. I might ignore you, I might not, depending on how I'm feeling. Tonight, I'm going to say two points before we get started. One, if a phone is distracting for you, like it is extremely for me, just put it away. It's about 25 minutes, you can do without it. The second point is, I'm going to try and hit you pretty hard tonight in the talk. Um, Please forgive me if I upset you. Um, We'll see how we go. All right, let's start. Have you ever thought of a hero to be the ultimate being, the ultimate thing worth praising? Spider-Man. I actually hate Spider-Man because I think it's stupid. Ready? Spider-Man is smart, right? He's smart. He's a nerd. And he's strong for a little fella. And he slings webs. My question is, where does his webs go? But anyway, one idiotic mistake and his uncle's dead. He's not perfect. Spider-Man sucks. Batman. Now, Batman is my favorite, favorite superhero. He's rich, he's smart, and he's strong. However, he is the most lazy person ever. He never once cleans up in any of his three movies. No hero. Superman. All right. Once for all, Superman's a cheat. You just can't have every power in known to universe and just go, he's the best. Of course he's the best. He's got everything. But Superman, sorry to ruin comics for you guys if you read them. Superman turns into a goose, starts to think that he is God and tries to bring judgment on the earth. And so Batman kills him. Superman. Superman's a shocker. No superhero is perfect. All right, let's bring this a bit closer to home for us. Are there any modern-day people that are truly worth all our praise and worship for what they've done? Nelson Mandela. He did amazing things. He did amazing things. He, however, was human, and he's still stuffed up. In this passage, we're going to look at the true worthy one. The true worthy one that is meant to be praised night and day the true worthy one that is worthy of receiving glory. We're going to look at Jesus. But before we get to Jesus, we're going to take a long, hard look at ourselves. So we're going to hit three points tonight. We are not worthy. Jesus is worthy. And Jesus is at the center. So we'll hit the first point. The big thing I want to get here is that we are not worthy. Let's read verses 1 to 4, chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the thrones, throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Thinking back over the last couple of weeks, now the last couple of weeks, especially in chapter 4, we've just been learning about how God is in the center of heaven. He's on his mighty throne. He's glorious. He's powerful. He's in the middle and everything revolves around him. And while God is seated in his throne, we then move to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, in his right hand, he has a scroll. And this scroll, it's very detailed. The info's on the back and front. Now, that's 
that means that the scroll is in depth because back then with the paper, you just didn't usually write on the backside because it was really hard. So next year, when we come back to Revelations, we'll look deeper in chapter 6 and 7 about what is actually written on the scrolls. But just quickly, when we read those chapters, it is clear that opening the scroll brings judgment on the world, which is terrifying for the person who faces judgment. But it is such a good thing because it sets the world right again. The scroll is sealed with seven seals, which if you haven't been with us for a while or this is your first night, the seven in the time of Revelation, it was a symbol number, which meant it had a meaning behind the number. And seven's number, seven's symbol was completeness, holy, full. So when the seven seals, it means the scroll was completely and utterly sealed. Now, we got that. Now we look at the challenge. A challenge goes out. Verse 2. Let's read. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? A challenge goes out. And a challenge goes out to the heaven, the earth, and under the earth. The challenge goes out. Silence comes back. No one is able to answer that challenge. No one at all. Not you, not me, not anybody. No one is worthy. Now, I think, I think in our Western culture, we get a bit funny when we start to say stuff like, no one is worthy, no one is good. But I think it just takes a little bit of a look at our own culture. We have no one able to open the scroll. Now, I don't know if you know this, but most shops actually have to raise their prices just to counter the amount of products that get stolen. Now, I belong to a football club, which is a good and bad thing. The bad thing is I go on camps with some mates, and those mates do dodgy things on camps. Happily and willingly will they cheat on their wives and girlfriends and then brag about it. We live in a bad world. We live in a sinful world. If you actually look at our culture, you can see in how inherently bad we actually are. So the challenge, I liken it to a bit of Excalibur. Now, I don't know if girls will know this story, but Excalibur. I'm pretty sure Merlin, so I don't really know it either. Pretty sure, <laughs> pretty sure Merlin, correct me if I'm wrong here, puts a sword into a stone. Wrong. My story is this one. <laughs> this is a scallop of the second. All right. So, sword goes in the stone. Challenge goes out. Whoever can get the stone, uh, sword out of the stone is worthy to be the king of England. And the challenge goes out and everybody hears it. It doesn't matter whose family you come from. It doesn't matter if you're the prince or some farmer boy or some farmer girl. It doesn't matter. If you're worthy, you'll be the king or queen of England. The challenge goes out and no one's able. No one is able to get the sword out and England gets blown up. Not a single person was worthy to take the sword. See it in verse 3 again. But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And this is bad 
John starts weeping. He starts losing it. And I reckon it's because he really wants the scroll to be opened, not just so he can see the end, because he wants to see justice come to the world. He wants to see justice to all the things that have been going bad. See, he's part of a time where he's living through some hectic persecution. He's currently deserted on an island. He wants justice. There needs to be someone worthy. So let's read verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. We have one that is worthy. Christ is worthy. Let's look at verse 5 to 7. Sorry, 6 and 7. Then I saw a lamb looking as it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. There is someone who is able to take the scroll. Now, someone, this someone, he appears, and he appears like the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, to be the lion of Judah, it refers back to Genesis 49. And in Genesis 49, you can look at it later, it shows a description of a fierce lion, a fierce king and a fierce ruler who rules. And the, um, from the root of David comes from Isaiah 11, and it's a prophecy, a prophecy looking forward to the ultimate king, the never-ending king in the line of David. And that's Jesus' description. A fierce lion, a fierce king, and the ultimate ruler prophesied. And John, you know, he's expecting, he sees it, he sees the lion, he thinks about it. It's a massive animal. It's like Aslan. He looks and he sees a lamb. And not just a lamb, a lamb that looks like it's slain. Now, I think at first glance, people see this animal and they get confusing. What? A lamb? I was expecting a lion. I was expecting a massive, ferocious, wild beast able to take care of anything. A lamb? That can't be right. Isn't Jesus the most powerful thing ever? Why this lamb? Shouldn't it be like a bear or an eagle or a tiger? They're the things that represent power, not a lamb. And in this image, this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. It's unexpected. It's not the fierce lion that John was expecting. And Jesus, the lion and the lamb, he's able to take the scroll. Why is Jesus able to take the scroll, though? Well, it tells us in the passage. What makes him worthy? It tells us in the passage. So let's look at verse the very end of verse 5. The root of David has triumphed. Jesus has triumphed. What has he triumphed? Well, let's look at verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy because he was slain. And with his blood, we were purchased for God. Jesus was worthy because of the cross. Jesus was worthy because he was able to triumph over death and sanctified us through his blood. Why a lamb? Because Jesus was the sacrifice. He was the ultimate, eternal sacrifice. Jesus, both lamb and lion, saved us. See, every human on this earth, me, you, your mum, your dad, brother, sister, cousin, everyone has a problem, and that's sin. Now, sin, it's just ignoring your God. It's living life like you're your own king, like you're your own boss. Ignoring God's purpose for you. Ignoring the way that he wants you to live. We give God the cold shoulder and we pretend that we can live lives however we want. God's my king. God's not my king. I'm my king. No one tells me what to do. No one's got control over me. And the price of that sin, it's death. And we all deserve to die under God's law. No one No one at all is able to reach the holy standard set by God. God, however, in his love, he did something for us. Totally different, totally radical. God sent Jesus. And Jesus willingly went to the cross. He willingly died for us. And he willingly took the punishment for all our sin. And through that blood on the cross, he purchased us. He saved us. He redeemed us. Because Jesus became the once for all sacrifice, he was worthy to take and open the scroll. Jesus, the lion and the lamb. Now this is a very old analogy, and so I'll do it very quickly. Say I stole something, loaf of bread, and judge goes, Sam, we've got so much evidence that you stole it. There's no way it couldn't have been you. You did it. We got you on camera. We got witnesses, blah, blah, blah. Lots of people saw me do it. And he's punishing me to two hours community service. And I'm like, no, I do not want that. Except for Devin, my good old mate Devin. Just as about I'm get to get sentenced, he steps in for me. And even though I did it, it's so obvious I did it. Everyone knows it. I know it. I did it. My mate Devin. He takes the spot for me. He takes the punishment. Jesus, through his actions on the cross, saved us. He took our place. He's worthy of the scroll and our praise. Which brings me to my third point. Jesus is at the center of heaven. Let's take a look at verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each had one harp. Each one had her harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. When Jesus takes the scroll, the area, the angels, the elders, the creatures, they burst out into song and praise. Now, Looking back at chapter 4 again, let's look at verse uh, 11 of chapter, chapter 4. Oh, 10 and 11. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. 
They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their being. That's to God on the throne. We now look and we see in verse 9, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. The elders worship changes focus, changes centrality. It has a new nucleus. We see in verse 8 a shift, a shift from God the Father to Jesus the Son. When Jesus, the lion and the lamb, takes the scroll, the four living creatures and the elders, they sing. And they sing the song. The center of their praise just between passages switches. Jesus is at the center of heaven. Jesus the lion, Jesus the lamb. Jesus, the one who is worthy of our praise. Jesus is the one worthy of our glory. He is now in the middle. He is now in the center. Now, this doesn't mean that God the Father isn't also in the center because we also find out at the end of chapter 5 that both God the Father and Jesus the Son are worshipped in heaven together. So it's not one and the other one's out of the way or one, they're together. Both being worshipped in heaven. He was central. Now, uh, hands up if you've been in the hall, the big hall. Big hall, yeah, cool, that's a fair amount of people. If you, who stood down at the, the stage? Yeah, a lot of people. If you stand down on that stage and you look out, I don't reckon you can help but feel a little bit intimidated. There is about a thousand or more chairs looking right back at you. It's a bit scary. It's a bit intimidating. Now imagine each one of those seats feel. You would feel like the center of the world. And that is nothing. That is nothing to how Jesus is. You think you're the center of attention? You're not. You're nothing. Jesus is the center. Jesus redeemed us, not for our, our own kingship so we could be our own lords. No, he redeemed us for God. See, we need, we need a grasp that Jesus is the center of the heavens. Jesus is the center of the universe. And in fact, he is the center whether you want him to be or you don't want him to be. He's still there and he's still in the center. Now, over the past few weeks, this analogy has been used a lot, so I'm going to try and spice it up a little with a bit of sand magic. Say you're in the water and you're surfing. Oh, who surfs? I like surfing. Well, I like paddling, really. And you're surfing and you see a fin. But this fin's a little different. This fin has a rocket launcher. It has a sniper rifle. It then, on its head has a cage full of bees that when the shark barks, the bees get released and are eating flesh, flesh-eating bees. Now, that's a bit of spice, isn't it? It's a bit of difference. And you're surfing, and that fin pops out, and you see that cage of bees. Is you ignoring the shark change the fact that you are in immediate danger? If you saying, that shark actually isn't there, I don't see it. No, that shark is still there. It's coming straight for you and it will eat you. 
the danger is there whether you think it is or not. Whether you believe it is there or not. It is still there. So where does Jesus fit into your life? This is where I want to hit you a little hard. Because I know it hits me hard every single day. Where does Jesus fit in your life? Is he out in the distance? Is he not even close to you? Is he on TV and you just ignore him? Is he not even irrelevant? Is he, no, not even relevant, sorry, in your life? Or is he like a backpack where you pick him up, you take him wherever you go? The backpack doesn't determine where you go. You determine where you go, but the backpack comes with you. So are your choices made by your own opinion, your own want, and you just bring God along for the ride? Or is God like the foundation? Is God something that you have built your life on? Where every choice you make is built on, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for God? Because Jesus deserves our praise. Jesus deserves our worship. He died on the cross for us. Now, in early high school, I was the biggest goody-goody two-shoes ever. I still kind of am. I was going to youth group. I was going to 24-7. I was going to Christian surface Bible study. And I was going to church. And in my head, I went, you know what? I think I praise God enough in a week. I'm actually not going to set up my own daily Bible reading because I think I do enough. What an idiot I was. What an idiot. Why would you limit yourself in how much praise you give God? God is not something where you just give an hour on your Friday night or an hour on Sunday or the five-day, two-day Christian, no, five-day Christian, sorry. Five days a week you're a Christian, two days you're a party animal. God is not that. Jesus is not that. They are the center of everything. They need to be at the center of your life. Now, a few applications that follow from that. The fact that Jesus needs to be at the center of your life. Your money. What do you spend it on? I mean, you guys will all mostly go, Oh, I don't really have any money. That's not technically true. Most of you, most of you get money that you don't work for. Let's be honest. Your parent gives you money. What do you do with that money? If you do work, what do you do with that money? Do you spend it on yourself? Do you spend it on alcohol? Do you spend it on drugs? What do you spend it on? Do you give it away to other people? Do you give to compassion? What do you do with money? Is God at the center of your life? Is Jesus at the center of life? Which means all choices will be revolved around him, will be founded in him, or is your own selfish reflection in there? What about your time? Now, you can be glorifying God in every single thing you do. At school, do you listen to your teachers? Do you obey your elders? Do you obey your parents? 
do you spend your weekends partying up every hour? Or do you spend your time partying but making a stand on alcohol so that everyone at the party knows that I'm not drinking for God because I'm under 18? Or if you are 18, do you go, I have a limit of two because I'm not here tonight for me, I'm here for God. What do you do with your life? Who do you seek out for a girlfriend or a boyfriend? Are you selfish in your opinion, thinking, you know what, I don't think God has an opinion on this. I'm just going to take whoever I want because that girl is smoking or that boy is smart or that girl has ponytails. I don't know what you guys do anymore. But do you make your choice? I was really serious then. Thanks, guys. Really serious. And you broke it. You broke it. It wasn't a joke. All right. (laughs) Does your life reflect Jesus? I want you to really think. I'm going to give you 30 seconds right now, and I won't talk. Really think, is my life one that reflects Jesus as the center? 30 seconds. Think about it. Jesus, he's the fierce lion. He is the slain lamb. He deserves to be at the center of our life. He's at the center of heaven. Let me pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the amazing opportunity it is that we can sit under your word. Um, I pray that uh, what we learn is true to what the Bible says. And uh, I pray for everyone in this hall that they will take you seriously, take your word seriously, and spend their lives living it with you as the foundation. Amen.